0: Welcome to the Clear Admit MBA admissions podcast. I'm Graham Richmond, and this is your Wiretaps for Monday, January 30th, 2023. I'm joined by Alex Brown from Cornwall, England. Alex, how are things going this week?
1: Very good. Thank you, Graham.
0: So we're, you know, it's all, everyone's talking about interviews. We see a lot of live wire posts on the site about interviews, but what's your assessment of kind of where things are for for the applicant pool right now?
1: Yeah, we're seeing more interview invites coming out this early in the season, I think, than last year. Yeah. Um, so it's a bit of a signal to me, Graham, that app volumes in round two were down.
0: Right, because there are they're, they're less files to read, so they're getting through stuff faster. Yeah, that's possible.
1: There's that, but also they have an incentive to get the invites out sooner. If there's a smaller pool of candidates, I think schools are chasing them a little bit.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, absolutely. So I just want to remind everyone that, you know, as you're kind of waiting for interviews or getting ready, you know, for an interview that you've been invited to use the clear admit interview archive, it's a free resource. There are tons of reports in there. And the only caveat I would say is if you use it, please, after you interview, go and put in your own report. I mean, that's just sort of the least you can do. This is a, a, an inter- sort of an Internet resource that exists because of, you know, the sort of goodwill of, of
1: people applying to business school. So, yeah,
0: yeah so, so use that. Buy our interview guides for extra tips. But what else are you going to say, Alex?
1: <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I actually was reading the interview archive this morning because we're, we're preparing to, to, to do a, 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 a separate podcast on the Wharton. Team based discussion, and there's some great reports (laughs) regarding the first round Wharton team based discussions, right? Um, it is a fantastic resource.
0: Okay, yeah, excellent. Yeah, and hopefully you'll you'll share some of those
1: insights when we do that Wharton podcast later on. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine doing a team-based discussion over Zoom? Uh, I just tricky. think the, the environment's really difficult. I
0: mean, we have enough trouble doing a team-based discussion over Zoom with our colleagues that we all know. You know, imagine, <laughs> <laughs> imagine people you don't know. But anyway, we'll get into that. Uh, all right, so one thing I did want to say is next Monday, February 6th, is our monthly Clear Admit Plus webinar. So if you're a Clear Admit Plus, member, you can, you know, come on out and it's from noon to 1 p.m. Eastern. And Alex and I take your questions, talk about where you are in the application process. And yeah, I'm so looking forward to that. Uh, Over on the website, Alex, we did a handful of kind of interesting news items. One is we ran a story as part of our Real Numbers series, which just goes over the tuition costs at the European MBA programs. And so I think a couple weeks ago, we talked about the American uh, tuition costs. And so this is just a follow up with all the European schools I mean, one of the things I did want to point out about that is that, you know, it, it's kind of interesting to see the the sort of range of prices um, at these different uh, programs, you know, so for example, I was just noticing that, you know, Imperial for their MBA program, they listed at, you know, 61,000 euros. So they do convert to euros to so make it sort of easy for everyone to understand. Um, <clears throat> whereas INSEAD is 127,000 euros. Of course, one of the differences that I believe that the INSEAD figure includes, um, both kind of tuition and room and board, or kind of your expenses for for the year, whereas that imperial figure does not. And I'm, I'm guessing living in London is probably, oh gosh, I don't know what 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 is that? I mean, you think it's at least thirty thousand pounds a year? I mean, for <laughs>
1: yeah,
0: uh, I, I'm just kind of guessing, yeah. but no. <clears throat> but still, there is a range in price.
1: You know, I'm going to ask you, Graham, are, are European MBAs cheaper or more expensive than us-based mbas
0: well i mean they're cheaper because a lot of them are a year but if you were to take that year figure and multiply it by two then they end up some of them being more expensive right because they kind of get more they charge a bit more for that one year than right you know, but but no they, they can be quite affordable i mean if you think about i don't know i mean you look at like hec's 111 thousand euros and i think that is all in so you know, we, we were looking at this the other day for the, um, U S schools and yeah, it's U S schools are a bit more expensive overall.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Especially yeah, with that. Very good. Year. So,
0: um, the other thing we, we covered a couple of news items out of Dartmouth tuck. One is they extended their Dean Matthew slaughter. Uh, he's been there, I guess he's done two terms now they're four year terms and he's just been extended for a third term. And I know from, I was just up there in November that guy is loved on that campus. I mean, everyone that I spoke to had nice things to say about the dean. So he's clearly done some good things. Um, helped them weather the pandemic. He's been an amazing fundraiser, which is always a good uh, trait for, for a dean. So they, you know, they've raised like a record amount of money recently. So he's on for another four years, and everyone at Tuck is happy about that. Uh, they also, the other news item from Tuck is that they announced that they are offering GMAT waivers for round three applicants who were affected by layoffs. So this is kind of something we've been seeing, Alex, like schools extending their deadlines, moving to rolling for the final round, or schools like, I think, Kellogg, MIT, and now Tuck saying, hey, if you were laid off, you can apply um, and you don't need to take a test. We know that you don't have time and you may need to pivot quickly into business school. What do you make of all this stuff?
1: (laughs) Well, I I got two big comments. One is um, congratulations to Dean Slaughter, but and, yep. and we know Tuck. If you think about what's the one thing that distinguishes Tuck from other programs, it's that connection to their alumni base. So, um, and obviously the dean's role is, is going to be sort of somewhat integral to that. So, um, so that's impressive. Um, in terms of the um, the um, the waivers for GMAT. I, I get why it makes sense if someone's, you know, just recently been laid off, they don't have the time to prepare and then take the test because you've really got to prepare really well. So this might be a good avenue. I just wonder how it harms those that have, you know, gone through the route of actually taking the test. Like is, is, does that sort of, sort of um, you know, you, when, when you, when you, make these policies especially in the short term you've got to think about how it impacts your overall applicant pool and i just hope that the schools have done that due diligence
0: yeah i mean we talked about this i think it was last year where a school made a shift mid season you know where the rules were kind of different and it it, yeah it's always challenging because you have those people who maybe really sweated it out to get a test done and and apply in one of the earlier rounds and now suddenly (laughs) um, there's no test for some but a test for others so that yeah that's tricky I'm actually just interested in the fact that, you know, we see these schools waiving the test requirement at all. I mean, I get the extension of deadlines, but yeah, it's a just, um, it's just another interesting development in the sort of test. Where is the test going? You know, I mean, yeah. so,
1: and another, another signal that schools are really seeking applicants because the applicant pools are down. I, I think if applicant pools were up, and we were faced with this sort of tech layoff. Um, right. Well, it's not just tech, it's banking too, I think. If we were faced with these layoffs, would the schools be reacting the same? That's a really important
0: point. And I think the answer is no way.
1: <laughs> yeah. um, if
0: they were flushed with candidates, you know, then they would just say, hey, if you don't have time, apply next year.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, so yeah, anyway, so <laughs> uh, interesting stuff. So speaking of that, uh, our colleague Elliot authored another kind of careers oriented column for the website. Uh, It came out last week, and this was more about, um, again, placement trends and the rise and fall of tech. We had done a specific article only about tech and how the tech numbers have been falling off, and we're thinking, is that the canary in the coal mine for the coming hiring season? This article is a bit more of a broader um, overview because it looks at data from 2019 to 2022, so four years' worth of career placement data, and it looks at the movements between tech, consulting, and finance, which are the three biggest areas that people go into, And so, you know, it's just been interesting because we saw this big kind of boost in tech in the first couple of years in this cycle of four. And then this year it's starting to kind of fall off and consulting is absorbing a lot of that. So anyway, you can check out the article on the website. I'm sure you've already read it. I believe you saw early drafts of it, Alex.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I I have to say all these industry pieces, we did a several last season, which I believe we're going to update with this season's data. And then these recent tech pieces Um, from Elliot, absolutely fascinating. And now looking at that trend data um, and not forgetting that this sort of um, decline, relative decline in tech hiring versus consulting and and banking um, from, from last season's graduates, occurred before a lot of these recent layoff announcements. Um, so what's going to happen with, with that trend, um, for this season is probably going to accelerate a little
0: bit. Yeah, I agree. I mean, that's, what's so interesting about all this is that we're seeing a little bit of these declines in a year that was basically gangbusters. And so now, yeah, so I'll, I'll be really curious to see what happens with this class of 23. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's kind of the main, you know, new stuff from the website. I did want to mention that we have, um, I, I want to just remind people, you know, you can earn likes on the wire. So if you're posting on the wires and commenting, you know, if you, if you hit that little thumbs up um, icon, you can like somebody's post and they earn likes and you get stars as you get more of these. So we got to, um, I just want to remind people of that because I'm not sure that everyone notices that that's there as a feature on the site. And as we get into more and more people getting interviews and and more comments happening on the site, just, you know, leave somebody a like if you like what they had to say. That's all I'm that's. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> um, other than that, we have our first uh, enrollment, uh, deferred enrollment event on Wednesday of this week where I'm going to sit down and MC a session with reps from Berkeley, Tepper, Wharton, Darden, and Yale. Uh, and actually what's cool is they're sending the person that manages their deferred enrollment admissions from each of these schools. So I'm going to ask them exactly what they look for when they're assessing these younger candidates who are still, for the most part, in college or, or currently finishing a a master's degree. So that should be fun. That's Wednesday at noon Eastern. You can sign up on our website or just go to bit.ly forward slash D E 23 So defer 23. Uh, yeah, that'll be fun. And we have one the following week as well, where I'm going to sit down with um, reps from Columbia, Chicago, Stanford, MIT, and Harvard. So it's a, it's a really good time. If you're interested in, in deferred, uh, enrollment MBAs to, to hang out with us and, and attend these events. Uh, other than that, Alex, I don't have anything. I mean, people can still write to us at info at and use the subject line wiretaps. But yeah, did you want to get into our candidates for the week?
1: Well, we do have one other event coming up. I know I don't think people can register for it yet, right? The the Real Humans event.
0: Yeah. So in later later in February, we're going to do an event with some current students at a bunch of different um, MBA programs and give, yeah, g- give people a chance to even submit questions for those current students in advance. And yeah, that's still in the works. I think we're going to announce it in about a week is my understanding. But that should be fun. I think we've got, what is it, students from... I know Wharton, Haas, I'm going to forget, maybe there's MIT. Um, yeah, we're getting together a group of students and trying to um, allow, yeah, allow our listeners and audience on the site to interact with them, which would be fun.
1: Yeah, brilliant, brilliant.
0: So, um, all right, so let's move on uh, and talk about our candidates for this week. So this is Wiretap's candidate number one. So Alex, you picked an apply wire entry that you wanted to discuss, um, and this is a candidate who is an early bird, so not applying uh, until next season. Uh, This, it's a female candidate. She's uh, currently been working in kind of analytics, and we'll get into what that means exactly. And her post MBA career looks to be maybe in consulting or tech. She's still sort of ironing out the details there. She had a 3.7 GPA as an undergraduate. She's been working for four and a half years She hasn't taken a test yet, and part of the reason for her post on our site was she was kind of wondering um, what score she might need and what schools might be within range, but the schools that she listed were Harvard, MIT, Kellogg, Stanford, and Wharton, so kind of the best of the best. Uh, She wants to land on the East Coast after business school, and she just kind of was wondering if she has a case that's strong enough to apply to these top kinds of programs before she kind of (laughs) invests time in, in working on her GMAT and all that. Um, Some demographic information. I mentioned this is a female candidate. She's 26. Uh, She's black and Hispanic, an immigrant, first generation, comes from kind of a low income background, and she went to a top liberal arts college where she earned that 3.7. Double major in psych and neuroscience, and also I guess Spanish too. So yeah, so it's more like a well, I guess it's, it's a psych neuroscience and Spanish. So that's how it works. And then she um, switched her major a bunch, and she was a little concerned about that. We we can talk about that. And the other thing she mentioned is she has a master's degree from a I think from a city school, so not maybe a super prestigious um, program, but it sounds like she has a master's degree, which I'm guessing she might have done part time. And that's in analytics, and she has a four O in that um, master's degree. So I'll kind of stop there. She has some outside activities, but we can dig into that. But what do you make of this candidate? And yeah, what's the story? Like, should she be going after these top schools?
1: I think she should go get laid off and apply in round three and get the GMAT test waiver. I mean, that would be perfect, because quite frankly, everything else looks really, really good with this profile.
0: Right, so go into work and insult everyone or something, get laid off. Well, I'm not (laughs) sure she wants to
1: do it quite like that, but but, but no, I mean, that's kind of one of the reasons why I'm not sure about these waiver um, programs, because they do impact, like, someone like this who's... Admitting that they're a poor standardised test taker, so they're nervous about taking this test. Right, um, and so you've got that. That's the elephant in the room. You've got a really good profile otherwise. So, um, so you know her 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 demographic profile. It's very strong. Twenty six um, female. Um, immigrants, first generation, low income. So you know she's come very far, yeah. um, which is su- kind of what I really look for for these types of candidates. Um, and and you know she's gone through Liberal Arts College, got a three seven. She's got a four zero. Let's assume she was quite heavily involved in her academics. I'm not sure we exactly know that, but let's assume that that's the case. And then at works, highly quantitative, sort of analytical type work looks like she's probably done um, um, really well in, I think, three different roles, um, as well as um, getting involved outside of her direct responsibilities, sort of making analytics more accessible for, um, for minority groups and so on and so forth. Um, I would like to know what she does outside of work, like who is this person as an individual, what she Passionate about how does she spend her time, so, and yeah, and, and that that'll come through um, in the application. But, but really, the challenge or, 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 or what we don't know is how she's going to perform on the GMAT. So, so her question basically has been to us sort of is it worth her while targeting these top schools? The answer is yes. Now, she's really going to have to work very, very hard in terms of preparation such that she can take the GMAT twice, give herself enough time for that retake, Mm -hmm. um, and and so on and so forth. Um, So that's why I wonder about these waiver programs, how legitimately fair they are Mm. across the board and so forth. Um, But I'll ask you a question, Graham, which I know you're not gonna like because (laughs) we talked about it before we came on air, but let's say she comes back after that second test with a 650 what should she do?
0: Yeah. So I, I mean, I have a few thoughts. I mean, one is she could always look at the GRE, which some people find to be a bit easier and, and, and give that a, you know, a shot. Um, but let's assume that, you know, even on that, she's kind of falling, you know, well below the average at these targets. 319. Yeah. So she's like below. Um, yeah, I still would apply. Um, and the reason for that is I think that, you know, when you look at her, academic profile. I mean, there's a wealth of information there. You know, she's got four years of undergrad, she's got a master's, and the grades are off the charts, good, in both, you know, undergrad and grad school. And I also, I mean, you know, you look at her work, I mean, she mentions that, uh, you know, she had done, um, I guess she had done, what was it, it was uh, a couple years at an education analytics think tank. She did a year of analytics at an ed tech company, and now she's at a big media streaming company doing, as a senior data analyst. And so, you know, a lot of times schools are wondering, like when they're looking at the test and, and grades, they're, they're just trying to figure out, are you going to be able to hack kind of the MBA curriculum? Like, can you, you know, is it going to be too mm. challenging? And I feel like there's a lot of evidence here aside from the test that she's going to be fine. So I would still tempt it. I mean, I guess I might shift the list of schools ever so slightly, you know, to to have maybe a safety or, you know, a couple schools that are more top 16 or top 20 or something if that were to happen. But I still think that she would have have a chance. And so that that to me the, the message that I would have for her is just go after the test, do the best that you can. Um, you know, I told her like aim for 700 plus, you know ideally even north of that but just do the best that you possibly can. She's got time, which is so crucial. yeah and so I, I feel like it yeah. is a test that is learnable. It's not you know, they make it like it's some sort of intelligence test or something or aptitude, you know but I, I think you can. <laughs> You can learn and, how to do better, and on this you test.
1: retook the test yourself, right, Graham?
0: Yeah, so I had a six hundred and fifty, yeah, um, and I then I spent you know a couple months, like I, I took a class. I, I mean, I just took so many practice tests. I hated it every moment of it, and then I took it again and added hundred points to my score. So it, it's you can add, yeah. you know, points. Even though I remember talking to the the guy at GMAC who does the kind of one of their. I don't remember what they call that, that, um, there's like a domain of science for these sort of people that write, is it psychometrics? I I can't remember what it is, but anyway, he's like an expert in that. And he said, Oh, you know, no one ever moves their score more than, you know, 20, 30, 40 points. That's really, you know, anyone who moves beyond that is sort of an outlier, a a weird event, you know, and I, I don't know if I believed him on that. So especially after my own experience, but anyway, yeah. So she, I think she's going to be fine. I agree. It would be nice to know what makes her tick? I mean, I think she's got great extracurriculars that are related to her work right. and to um, helping people in her community. But yeah, it'd just be good to know like what you know, does she go salsa dancing on the weekends? Does she, you know, make her own sushi? Is she into French film? Like what what what's like her, you know, like passion stuff? That would be good to know as well. And as you say, that'll probably come out in yeah. the application yeah. <laughs> process. But yeah, it'd be good to know.
1: Yeah. I mean, again, this is a sort of candidate that top programs will want to admit. Yeah. So it's up to the, this candidate to do everything that she can to make herself admissible so that they can admit her. And obviously a big piece of that is gonna be to put every effort into this test. Yeah. And again, plan to retake it. Um and and yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I think this this candidate has already shown through her academics and her career that she has the the, the wherewithal and to be um, really successful so yeah so best of luck
0: yeah and i want to thank her for her post and she actually wrote back i left her a comment on the site along these lines of what we've been discussing and she you know she was really gracious and and just said that you know she now says i am extra motivated (laughs) to invest time and effort in the gmat since i have a fair shot yeah so i really appreciate her writing back Um, but let's move on and talk about wiretaps candidate number two So this is another apply wire entry, um, but this candidate's actually already applied. Um, They're looking to start school in the fall, and they only applied to two schools, and those schools are Cornell Johnson and NYU Stern. They've been working in real estate corporate finance before business school. They actually have about seven years of, of work experience to date, and they would love to get into either consulting or investment banking after business school. seems like they're not quite sure, and the firms that they listed were Bain, BCG, Deloitte, McKinsey and Morgan Stanley on the banking side. They have a a 700 on the GMAT and they have a 3.2 GPA. They're located in Canada, which is where I believe that they did their undergrad and they want to land in New York City after business school, which makes sense if they have Cornell and and NYU on the list. Alex, I'm just going to leave it there because you had an exchange with this person. So I'd like for you to just t- tell us a little about what what are your concerns with this candidacy, and maybe share what they had to say to you.
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously, like this candidate's already applied um, to to Johnson and Stern. So um, this conversation is a bit mute, mute right? We've they've already applied, <laughs> and we'll see we'll see how how they perform, but. Um, you know they have a 700g which is going to be below average, uh, meet below the median for the for the programs they're targeting. Um, their GPA at 3.2 is also below the median, a little bit closer to Johnson but below the median. So that combination has me a little bit, uh, makes me a little bit queasy. Um, now they they proclaim that they have elite uh, work experience, um, and you know I'm not I'm not gonna say that's not the case, but you've got to recognize also there's going to be lots of very good candidates from strong work experience applying to these these programs. But sure. let's say their work experience is above average. Um, I don't know that that then um, allows you to have below average combination for your, for your um, academics and, and, and GMAT score um, necessarily. I mean, obviously they're all going to be viewed in a sort of a holistic um, fashion. Um, this three two GPA, their refrain or their pushback there was actually it's from it's an international um, um, degree and and AdCom care less about you know a lower GPA for international. Um, schools. I'm not sure I've ever heard that, but you know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. that 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 is. I mean, there's no doubt there are countries where there's less grade inflation sure. in the U.S. So, what as long as they've made it clear, maybe in the optional essay, um, that that this you know three two actually reflects you know a high ranking class rank or whatever it might be, that could help mitigate that. But I wouldn't take that sort of approach that oh it's 3-2 but they're going to know that it's a very good degree because it's an international degree that 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 might get them um a, you know in, into a little bit of trouble or something especially in combination with 700 which again <laughs> is a good score in the grand scheme of the reg, you know us regular folks but when you're <laughs> applying to elite programs it is below average that's just the the a, a stark, harsh reality, I should say. Yeah. Um, so, I, yeah. So, you know, hopefully they do get interviews. Because, again, we're, we're not going to change what, what, what occurs this season. Hopefully they do get interviews. And I wish them the best of luck. But I had a little bit of pushback on, on those points.
0: Yeah, it was interesting. I mean, the, the comment they made, they say, well, my GPA has issues. The GPA matters less once you're outside of the U.S. anyway. And given that people with 700 to 710s are getting into much better schools, I think I'll be okay. It's a com- it's a slightly less competitive year. So, I, I mean, I hear what they're saying in the sense that, yes, application volume is down, um, but, you know, we've yet to see the stats at these schools, because app, app volume's been down the last couple years, right? I mean, this is not the first um, time around <laughs> where the schools are seeing that, and we haven't seen the average GMAT or GPAs kind of drift down much at all. I mean, they've kind of been holding very steady, Yeah, and, and maybe we'll see this year, maybe they drift a little bit, but I, I share the exact same concerns as you I think, you know, like you say, Canada is famous. If this person did their undergraduate in Canada, Canada is famous for not having great inflation. And if they went to a great skill, let's say this person studied finance at a place like McGill or they went to, you know, a really great undergraduate institution in Canada and they were, with that 3-2, they were ranked in the top of their class or something. Okay, you know, then they have a case to make um, and it helps. But I still agree with you that, you know, 700 for a school like Stern where the average is 730 plus Um, and even, you know, I think at, uh, Cornell, I had in my notes here that, you know, theirs is average is seven ten. Um, you know, I was looking at like the middle 80% scores for Stern are, you know, it's, it's like 700 to 760. And so they're like right on the wire of that, you know, being in the bottom 10% of people that are admitted. And so, you know, we don't know much else about this candidate. Like, I don't know what their outside activities are like, um, or even their like ethnic background. Are they, you know, are they born and bred Canadian? Are they, I mean, there are a lot of Indians who come over to Canada and, and you know, do undergrad and, and stay. So, you know, there could be a lot of other factors we don't know about, but yeah, I'm a little, I'm hoping that they get interview invitations, but like you, I'm a little concerned that they might be, um, you know, going in a little too confident with, with some numbers that are below the bar at both
1: of these institutions. And you could say, and I'm, I'm, I'm just thinking, you know, on, on the spot, but this, this. This idea that it's slightly less competitive year, so therefore the schools will dip a little bit lower on these stats. There is a counter-argument that actually schools will be a little bit more selective on stats like the GMAT. Because um, they have less candidates, they're going to be less tolerant for for. for Slightly lower GMAT scores. I mean, I don't know if I'm making any sense, but I gotta, gotta, I, I gotta think that when the volume shrinks, they're going to be more excited when they see that candidate with the 760 or the 750 GMAT than right. they are when the volume's higher.
0: Yeah, and I mean, um, you know, we haven't talked about it, you know, in this in in this context, but you know, some schools are saying, you know, we we don't need to have. Um, we, we can drop, you know, the volume of the, of the class in a given year a little bit if we're not seeing the quality. I mean, that's something I've been hearing right. um, from a number of schools. So it's, yeah. So uh, anyway, we'll see how it plays out. I, I really hope this person gets an interview and, you know, at one of these schools at least and and, and makes their way through. But if they don't, um, they could certainly apply in the fall first round, maybe cast a wider net, um, maybe revisit the test or look at the GRE. Um, or like you say, get laid off and apply. <laughs> 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 Ask for a waiver. But anyway, um, yeah, so so that's, um, yeah, anyway, best of luck to them. I, I appreciate them posting, and, and we'll see where the chips fall. Hopefully they'll keep us posted. Um, let's turn our attention to our final uh, candidate for this week. So this is Wiretaps candidate number three. So, Alex, you picked a decision wire entry, and it's a candidate who um, applied to Chicago Booth, Stanford, Wharton and Yale and they ended up getting into both Wharton and Yale. Uh, With Wharton they weren't given any scholarship dollars but with Yale uh, they were given $170,000 in scholarship which is basically a free ride if if my calculations are correct um, or or darn near close. (laughs) They want to do consulting after business school or run their own like start their own company. If they do consulting, they've got Bain, BCG, McKinsey on the list. For some reason, they also indicated they might be interested in working in tech at LinkedIn or Microsoft. I guess those are a little bit one and the same because they're, I believe Microsoft owns LinkedIn still. Uh, their GRE score was a 333 and their GPA was a 3.49. So, man, that's a really off-the-charts GRE. It's interesting, they, you know, they, even with those numbers that are pretty darn good, they didn't get into Booth or, or Stanford. Um, but they did get those offers at Wharton and Yale, and they're struggling. They said, ideally, I'd like to pursue entrepreneurship. If that doesn't work out, then maybe tech uh, product management or consulting. So that's why they have some of the, both of those types of companies on their list. And they indicated that they have a product design background and they're interested in healthcare technology. So, yeah, I, I know Elliot on our team wrote a, a comment on this post in which he sort of weighed the pros and cons. But do you want to sort of summarize what your thinking is on this? Because it's a big amount of money from Yale, um, which is lower ranked than Wharton. But Wharton's given them not a single dime. So what do, what do you make of this?
1: Yeah, like one thing they could potentially go back to Wharton and, and negotiate to see if they would uh, make them um, an, an offer. Um, um, for, for, for some scholarship, just to sort of sweeten the pot a little bit, um, given the, the strong offer from Yale. Now, I wouldn't say um, Yale and Wharton are in the same um, tier. Um, they're not. Um, and Wharton, I would think, from, from if you're looking at it from an entrepreneurial standpoint, if you're looking at it from a healthcare standpoint, healthcare tech, you have to give um, the, the nod to Wharton, um, I think over Yale, um, in terms of just the breadth of resources that, that are, are available to Wharton students um, um, an alum the network and so on and so forth so if there's no money involved I think certainly um, Wharton would be um, the, the the choice here or at least I, I think that that would be mm-hmm. the rational choice mm-hmm. um, now when when you're talking about this kind of money if you want to be an entrepreneur so you're not planning to work in a, a healthcare tech startup that someone else is running, but you want to be an entrepreneur and start that business. You could make a strong argument that that 170K um, that Yale's offering would be a great sort of seed funding for to start your entrepreneurial business, right? Right, right. Um, so, so that's the dilemma. It's like graduating debt-free to become an entrepreneur versus... Graduating from a program that probably has a a a level or two higher set of resources for an entrepreneur, specifically an entrepreneur in the healthcare tech space.
0: Yeah, I was thinking a lot of this comes down to the candidate's um, personal background and risk profile. Yeah, you know, I mean, I you know, if this person, I don't know what you know how well they did prior to business school, and and you know whether they have a big nest egg and and could take out. Um, you know, use some of that money to pay for business school, take out the rest in loans, and and still be you know okay. Um, and I also I think you're right. I mean, if there was no money involved, you look at you know, Wharton has such a great healthcare program. I mean, they have a, they have a whole special major that you can do in healthcare, and and obviously even non-majors can access these these really great courses that the healthcare curriculum has. So there's a lot you could do at Wharton, obviously a ton in entrepreneurship. You could go out to the West Coast for a semester at Wharton West um, in San Francisco. I mean, there are a lot of things that they could do. At the same time, like $170,000 to basically go to Yale for free when Yale is, you know, arguably a top 10 MBA program, you know, just sitting outside that M7 group that Wharton's in, you know, yeah, it's, it's a tough call. I mean, I think, um, it comes down to, yeah, what's their comfort level with that. And I do think you make a really good point, which is why not go back to Wharton and just say, look, I I would like to come here, but I've got Yale offering me $170,000 and you're offering me $0. Is there anything you can do? Um, because this is where I want to be, but right now I can't make it work financially. Right. So I, I think a letter along those lines, you know, very politely worded and, and, you know, that's very gracious for the acceptance, but, you know, looking for a little help might be a step to take because even if they get 20 grand or 50 grand, I mean, it all helps. Right. Yeah. So
1: <laughs> that was your idea, Graham. I just well, stole yes. it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So, but yeah, I think this is an interesting case and I, you know, yeah, just uh, it's tricky. Because <laughs> um, I really like Yale too. I mean they have a great program, and I've been up there on the campus a few times, and it's, a, it's also a really different thing. It's close-knit, um, small compared to Wharton. But right. that is another point that you and I talked about before we came on air, which is, you know the size of that Wharton network, if you were setting out to raise 10 million dollars for your startup or something, maybe there's some benefits there, right? Because you've got this massive network and VC and, you know, there's a lot of people out there that could invest. So yeah, this is not an easy decision. I'll I'll admit it.
1: (laughs) Yeah. 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 Very good.
0: Um, anyway, thanks for, yeah. Thanks for picking these out, Alex. We've, we've gone through our candidates. I appreciate you always taking time to pick out such interesting candidates to discuss. So we'll do it all next week. Um, and yes, stay tuned. Thanks, Alex.
1: I think we'll have a big shout out for our colleague, Dennis.
0: Yeah, Dennis produced this episode or the episode prior, sorry, under, you know, a really difficult circumstances, which I, I won't get into, but he um yeah, he's incredibly hardworking and always there for us. And yeah, we just um yeah, want to express that appreciation. Thanks, Alex, for mentioning that.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, brilliant, brilliant. All right, take care, everyone. Stay safe.